Welcome to the Crowdmakers, inside the C-suite of sports and entertainment, the definitive podcast on the inner workings of the business side of professional sports, concerts, and live events. These are the people that are shaping the new landscape of the industry, the executives that are creating the new paradigm for live entertainment. These are the inside conversations you won't hear anywhere else. These are the Crowdmakers. Support for the Crowdmakers comes from ISBI 360, the digital training network that uses micro-learning and spaced repetition to form new habits of success in sales, service, leadership, and more. Created by sports and entertainment industry experts for the industry. Learn more at ISBI360.com. And now, here's your host for the Crowdmakers, Bill Gertine. Welcome once again to the Crowdmakers. I'm Bill Gutine, and with me today is my very special guest, David Burke. David is the Executive Vice President, Sales and Business Development for the Pittsburgh Pirates, the newly minted EVP of Sales and Biz Dev, as he's just made his move. Congratulations, David, and welcome to the Crowdmakers. Uh, thank you, Bill. I really appreciate it, and thank you for having me. So all of this stuff that's gone on the last nine months, people have done things to better themselves. They've started a new hobby. What have you been doing during this pandemic? Uh, so for me, um, I am not a handy person, so, you know, don't really, you don't even have a toolbox or anything like that. And, um, one thing I've tried to start doing is being more handy. And, um, you know, my wife had an old wooden bed that I took out of storage and sanded down and painted. And that's kind of been my release is, is trying to be as handy as possible. So, um, it's going okay. I installed, I installed like a, a flag on our house and did the bed and uh, so, some other little things. No, uh, by no means am I, I Bob Vila now, but that's kind of been my release and, and my distraction for sure. <laughs> Good. Well, most everyone in sports can tell you where they were on that day in March when they first learned that everything was going to be shut down. Can you remember where you were at that moment and what was the situation? Yeah. Um, I was in my office with uh, our SVP of ticketing, Sean Ream, our, our VP of the Avalanche, uh, Jody Bonus, and our VP of the Nuggets, Emily McGuire. And we were scenario planning around the playoffs and, and each round of the playoffs and, and pricing and, and incentives to be season ticket members. And when ESPN broke and showed the guys from Oklahoma City leaving leaving the court and we were just like, Oh my gosh, this is real. Cause we, you know, we didn't know what to believe. It all depended on what news station you watched. Um, so to, for us, it, it became a reality as soon as they pulled them off, off the court and sent everybody out of the arena. So, you know, very, uh, I can remember that pit in in our stomach of just like, this is, this is real. So, yeah. So many decisions needed to be made very quickly once that pandemic became a reality. Some would look back and say that was a really good decision. Others would say, ah, that wasn't so good of ours. Can you think of an example of a mistake that you may have made early on at Kroenke in the pandemic? And, and what did you learn from that mistake? Um, man, I, I would say the one thing we, we, we did as an organization, I think, um, was not communicate as well as we should have. Uh, to our to our employees, and that was just at the very beginning because I, 
I think we just didn't realize how serious this was. It was kind of a, Hey, everybody go home, hunker down, you know, we'll get through this in two weeks. Um, and that was kind of across the board, our, our mentality of like, Hey, we'll just get through this in two weeks and, and, and kind of move on and we'll just pause the seasons and really, uh, you know, me specifically not taking it as serious uh, as it was. So I would say for me specifically, not, not taking the initial, uh, concerns as, as serious as they should have been taken. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people can say the same thing. Appreciate your transparency and all that, because I think anybody that was being honest would probably be in the same boat. <laughs> Good. You've been involved in and sold for almost every major sport now throughout your career. You've been in the NHL, the NBA, MLS, NASCAR. You were president of the Houston Arrows of the AHL. So you've done your time in minor league sports. And now this challenge, new challenge of yours, puts you in baseball for the very first time. Was there an appeal to working in baseball at this stage in your career? Or did that just happen by accident? No, I've, so I grew up playing baseball. Baseball has always been my favorite sport. Um, some of my earliest memories as a kid is, you know, throwing a baseball in my backyard with, with my dad. Um, I think the game teaches you so much as an individual, um, how, how to work as a team, success, failures, um, you know, being passionate, um, you know, to me, like the game is just, it's just a beautiful game. Like I, I, I'm still, I could still sunrise the sun up, watch baseball. I'm one of those few weird guys that could still do that. But, um, I love the game. That's where I've always wanted to end my career was in baseball. Um, and now having this opportunity with, with Travis Williams coming in as their new president, um, having a new vision, um, them hiring Ben as, as the GM and his new vision of how they're going to run baseball ops. Um, you know, I wasn't, wasn't looking to leave and, and, you know, Cronky was, was an amazing and still is an amazing organization and, and did so many amazing things for me and my family. Um, but when I talked to Travis, you know, we were initially supposed to have about a 30 minute conversation and we talked for two hours and there was just a natural connection there. And, uh, we talked about philosophies, family. We talked about just everything. And, you know, I, I spoke to my wife and I just said, Hey, this is a real possibility and couldn't be happier that it's Pittsburgh. Um, you know, it is an amazing sports town. Um, I think the, <laughs> they'd made an announcement yesterday. And one of my favorite tweets is there's a lot of people that are just angry, um, because they're so passionate and, and angry about how the team played last year. And, um, my, I circled a tweet of some guy saying, this guy is going to have the hardest job in the organization. And I just laughed because I think it's going to be the most fun job in the organization, to be honest. So, um, just really excited, excited to build the team, build the culture. Um, I think Bob is super committed to, to building a, a championship team, both in the front office and, and on the field and, and has the right people in place to do that now. That's great. Well, as much as you and Travis have talked, so much is still up in the air right now about schedules and fan capacity and all the other things. Certainly your priorities are going to be like everyone else, fan safety and security. But beyond that, what did you discuss and, and what sort of discussions are going on right now in your new boardroom as far as biz dev and what plans you're making to move forward? Yeah, no. So, I mean, <clears throat> there's just like every, just like every sports organization right now, we're scenario planning, right? Um, each state, is different. I'm, I'm learning that the way 
uh, things were done in Denver are not the way they were done, not the way they're done in, in, in Pittsburgh. Um, for us, it's all scenario planning. You know, what happens if the vaccine gets out and distributed in March? What happens if it gets, doesn't get distributed till July? Um, what happens if the state says you can only do 10% or 5,000 people? You know, all that type of, all those type of scenario plannings are going in. For us, and, and what I'm hoping to focus on is how do we take care of the most amount of people pos uh, possible? So uh, if, if we are restricted to, let's just say, a thousand seats, you know, let's not have somebody gobble up that seat for 82 games um, uh, to, and limit that inventory. You know, do we, do we allow season ticket members to only buy 10 games? You know, do we allow them to buy 50 games? Like how do we take care of, of our current customers um, while also still filling the funnel at the top? Like that's still important because we need to get new leads of people who feel comfortable coming to the ballpark um, um, so it's, it's a crazy, crazy scenario planning. And, and every day I feel like we wake up and we're like, Oh, we thought about this. Um, you know, could we create a, an entire section that is, you know, they've been vaccinated. So instead of having to socially distance and all that other stuff, you can fill the entire section and, and make up some, some, uh, some capacity there. So, we're kicking around a ton of ideas. And then the most important thing right now is, is communicating with our partners and, and, you know, maintaining that relationship with them because, you know, they, they're associating their brands with us and, and we want to make sure that they're feeling that value, you know, talking to major league baseball about some unique signage that normally wouldn't be in play and, and trying to make sure that, that we get them that value and, and, and um, maintain what they invested in. So, to, to be honest, like it changes every day and every day um, somebody thinks of, of, of a new idea. And, and that's what I love about the organization is everybody's involved in the conversation. It's not just the revenue people. It's not just marketing people talking about marketing. Travis has everybody involved because some of the best ideas are coming from a finance person or game ops or something like that. So, you know, I love that he just has everybody involved and everybody's communicating and, and, and really pointing to that North star of eventually getting back to full capacity. Yeah. Well, it's great that you're having so many people involved. There is a collective wisdom there. And so much has been talked about who will take the virus vaccine, who will not. And if those who are, are sitting next to people that are not, will that be a concern of theirs? I, I heard you say that maybe there'll be a section or you're at least discussing the possibility of the vaccinated and non-vaccinated uh, folks. Is that just an idea that's been proffered by the pirates or is major league baseball putting on some other things on the table, at least to consider? No, that's just something we've kicked around as an idea. And we, have, again, we have no idea if something like that would be approved or, you know, how do you, <laughs> how do you make people prove that they've taken, taken the vaccine? Can you work with clear? Like, those are just some of the ideas we're kick, kicking around. Like, you know, do we work, work with clear passport and, and, you know, they get a, you know, they sign in or whatever, and they say they've been vaccinated. Again, we don't even know if that's legal or it's just ideas we've been kicking around to kind of say, let's think outside the box. So if, you know, we are restricted, you know, how can we come up with ideas that 
that get us a larger inventory because, you know, we do feel like people are, are, are going to want to come to the ballpark, especially with it being outside. Um, you know, people are going to be looking to get out of their houses and, and do things and be part of social scenes again. And we need to strike while the iron's hot and take advantage of that, that, you know, we'll be the only, only game in town. We'll, we're going to have, we're going to be able to take advantage of the nice weather. And, and as people start to come back out and come out of their homes, how do we provide the best experience and the safest experience so that then they, they start to become a fan and, and join us for more games in the future. You bet. Many of the other smaller leagues, minor league hockey, for example, has had a challenge with being able to open their buildings at a certain capacity in order to make any money at all that break even. Some of them can't break even at 25% or even 50%, some of them, depending on where they are and what their lease is like with the, the arena. And you would know that firsthand because you've been involved in those sorts of things. Is there a number at which the Pirates won't open their building? What what is Have you talked about that? And, and, and what is that break even for you in terms of percentage of the house? You know, we're not looking at it that way. For, for us, I feel like it's more... Um, trying to take care of our fans and the fans that feel comfortable coming to the ballpark, um, making major investments and in, in cashless and touchless and all that type of stuff. So that people do feel comfortable. Um, we're, we're not looking at it from a, um, from a, a, a revenue driving standpoint. We're more looking at it from a fan experience standpoint. And for those that are comfortable coming out and experiencing the ballpark, to whatever capacity we can or can't. So I think for us, it's more about, you know, giving back to the fans and making sure that they feel safe and comfortable coming to the ballpark. Cool. Well, let's go back to Denver for just a minute because uh, you're actually still there. So it's not like we're going back. Uh, you have spent <laughs> a good chunk of your career there with Cronky Sports and Entertainment, most recently as EVP and Chief Strategy Officer. Help us understand what that title of Chief Strategy Officer means in sports and what influence that has over all the other business operations in the club. Yeah, no, I think, you know, we were or Cronky Sports Entertainment is a unique organization where, you know, they own four teams in Denver, uh, three venues, radio, TV, um, and then all of Mr. Cronky's other properties with Arsenal, the Rams, um, Skycam, Outdoor Channel, like just a number of different, different properties. Um, you know, for me, it was all about how do we attack revenue strategically as, as an organization and, and work together? Um, you know, previously, if a, com a company could have gotten a call from four teams, ticket sales, group sales, inside sales, everything else. So it's more about building that strategic approach of how we go after businesses um, and, and to ensure that, you know, we're all using CRM, we're all um, adhering to the, uh, to the CRM protocols and that type of stuff. But for me, it was all about how do we attack um, attack businesses using data and analytics and, and CRM and ensuring that, you know, we're not stepping over each other uh, and, and um, you know, five people are calling the same CEO. So you can imagine that that could get frustrating at times. In some ways, this is probably a nice linear change. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Good for you. Well, you are a product of the College of Charleston, the oldest college in South Carolina, the Cougars, uh, where you got your BS in corporate communications back in 2003. Don't want to date anyone here on the call, but 
you jumped into ticket sales right after graduation. You started with the Dallas Stars. What was the appeal to ticket sales to you with a communications degree back then? Uh, I'll be completely transparent that the, the degree was probably in my mind, the easiest one to get. So that's why I went down that path. <laughs> um, uh, for me, like I, I always wanted to be in ticket sales or in sales, uh, in general, my dad and uncles were all in sales. You know, I'm very competitive nature. I, I just enjoyed the idea that I'd be able to kind of control my own destiny versus, you know, being dependent on something else. So when I was in college, I, I, you know, did internships with my dad and started to learn sales. And one of my, one of my best friends called and said, you know, Hey, did you know that, um, there's sales programs with sports teams or ticket sales? And, and back then I just assumed like, you know, in the box office, opening the window and, and selling tickets. And as I started to really dive into, you know, what the opportunities of sales were in sports, I just naturally progressed to ticket sales. I, I just love the idea of it, of, of building relationships, um, you know, seeing those, seeing those fans at games. Um, and to me, again, like what better thing to sell is something I'm passionate about in sports. So I always knew I wanted to be in ticket sales. I started just bombarding people with, with resumes and um, was, was fortunate enough to get picked up by Dallas stars and, here I am. So it's crazy. Very cool. Well, you, you've risen to the level of EVP without that advanced degree. And I don't want to necessarily throw advanced degrees under the bus here because a lot of people have used them and use them very effectively. But I think that's a testament to your own school of hard knocks or whatever it is that you call experience these days. What is your view on advanced degrees as they relate to upward mobility in sports? Oh, man. Um, me personally, um, you know, I, I feel like once you get out of college, you should go and see what field you want to be in before jumping directly into going and getting a, a, a master's. Um, you know, obviously I didn't need to get one and it took me six years to graduate college. So, um, uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, not probably the shining example of, of, of working hard in college to, to advance quickly. But, you know, to me, in, in certain areas, I feel like experience is, is, is more important than learning from a book. Um, you know, I also feel like if you were going to be on the data and analytics side, like going and getting your master's is super important. And that's where I think really the potential, the long-term potential and, and, and fastest growing area of sports is, you know, I, you know, better than anyone making a cold call right now is, is, is near impossible. You know, when, and when I joined sports, I would make a hundred phone calls and 95 people would answer. Um, you know, now you make a hundred phone calls and you're lucky if five people answer. So, you know, I, I really see the opportunities in, in data and analytics and technology. And, and that's where I think that graduate degree can be super important and, 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 um, very useful. Um, you know, me, I just, I just kind of worked hard and, and went through the sales route. So, um, and I think there's some things that you can't, that can't be taught. And that's leadership, um, you know, having a passion for the industry, having a positive attitude, 
um, being hardworking and, and, and being open to learning. Like you can't be taught those things. So, uh, I, you know, it depends. If I were to give somebody a recommendation, it would be to go out after you graduate and figure out what area you want to be in. I think too, too many times, um, college students are being told, Hey, get your foot in the door with inside sales. And I just don't think that's the right message because if, if you're telling a person who doesn't enjoy sales and talking to people and being in front of people and you're telling them that's the only way to get their foot in the door in sports. I think that's just, it's, it's bad for the student and it's also bad for the organization. We'll be back for the second half right after this. Hi, this is Bill Gertin. I've been training the ticket sales departments of sports and entertainment for almost 20 years. And I love what I do, but everywhere I went, the story was always the same. We loved what you did. You got us fired up. But after a while, we kind of lost the spark and we went back to the same old, same old. Well, not anymore. ISBI 360 is the first and only digital training network created exclusively for the specific long-term career needs of sports and entertainment professionals. Our seven different unique certification programs include the fundamentals of success in the industry like ticket sales, sponsorships, social media, customer service, and leadership, all trained by industry experts like Brett Zalaski, Debbie Nolan, Misha Scher, and Seth Rabinowitz. ISBI 360 uses a unique four-stage learning process, including cutting-edge micro-learning videos, live recorded role plays, live coaching from industry experts, and an ongoing reinforcement program to make sure the learning sticks and forms the habits that your people need to grow and excel faster. Check out the two-minute demo at isbi360.com slash demo. That's isbi360.com slash demo. Building a better team starts with better training. Check out what's different about ISBI 360 today. There's a whole crop of those who graduated in May of 2020 who didn't have the opportunity to jump into an internship this year. They've not had that benefit of being able to test the waters to see what it's like to be in a team. What advice might you give to those graduates who are a little bit hungrier, perhaps, to get into the sports world? And what options might you suggest to them now that things might, the fog might be clearing a little more? Yeah, I would say be a little bit more patient because I, you know, you're starting to see more jobs being posted and teams hiring. You know, everybody's looking at, okay, when do we start to staff back up? Um, some organizations like Kroenke haven't laid off a single person. Um, you know, and, and kudos to, to the Kroenke organization for doing that. Um, you know, I would say just be a little bit more patient because we're, we're starting to see that light at the end of the tunnel with the vaccine coming and starting to understand what, what safety protocols are in place. So we're going to need staff and there are going to be internships. And, and if you can wait it out just a little bit longer, I feel like teams are going to start to staff up more. You have done personally quite a bit of work in hockey. That seems to be where you'd kind of gravitated to the majority of your career in, in several different markets, starting with the Stars. You went to Phoenix with the Coyotes. You were in Houston as president of the Arrows for a time, most recently in Denver, of course, with the Avs. Talk to us about how differently hockey is sold in a warmer climate like a Phoenix or a Houston versus a more native, colder weather hockey city like Denver. Is the approach different? Uh, the approach isn't different. I, you know, I think um, <laughs> it's funny because when I first went to Phoenix, one of my one of my first meetings with with the reps, it's like, hey, what are you guys hearing on the phones? 
And it was a complaint about, you know, driving west um, in the sun because it literally bakes your car. And I, and, and I was like, what? This is the most ridiculous excuse ever until I made the drive and you literally bake in your car uh, when the sun is going down. So I think it's the approach isn't different. Obviously, it's all about building relationships and and, and having that perceived value. And, and de, no matter what team performance is, it, the the the, uh, the objections are different and handling those objections are, are a lot different. But in regards to the product and selling the product, again, if you're selling wins and losses, then yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit more difficult at times, but you know, we, we've always focused on, on controlling what you can control and, and that's ensuring that they have the best benefits. They see the most value in those benefits. And when they leave the game, they felt like they have the best fan experience. And, and that's what teams have to continue to focus on is, is enhancing that fan experience because there's way too many um, other forms of entertainment and whether that even be streaming on your phone or, you know, in, in Denver, I learned that one of our biggest competitors was the mountains. And, and if it was a beautiful day uh, in February, people weren't coming to the game, they were going up to the mountains. So, um, you know, each, each market has its own, own challenges and, and, and competition, but if, if you don't f- focus on the fan experience and taking care of your season ticket members, that's where, that's where you, you start to lose your customers. Yeah. Over this last nine to 10 months, a lot of people have gone into new habits. Uh, the habit they may have had of going to the ballpark on a regular basis may have been replaced with something else. What are you most concerned about competing with now after the pandemic, once we get back into the stream of things, what do you think has become more a part of people's lifestyles that you're going to have to compete against more heavily? You know, I'm really scared about fear, to be honest. Uh, Even if the vaccine is out there is that people have been living in fear for, as right now, nine months and coming out of their homes and being in big crowds and you know, even when you open up and, and the government decides like, Hey, this is, everything's open. We're in the clear, still that fear in the back of your mind. I mean, I still have it like going to games and and having two young kids at home, like that, that just in the back of your mind fear, I think that is, that's going to be our biggest competition is the comfort people being comfortable going to social and large gatherings. Um, I think, you know, soccer and baseball and some NFL teams have the competitive advantage of being outside. And I feel people feel more comfortable right now being outside versus in an arena. But at the end of the day, I think it's just going to be fear is our biggest competition of, of people feeling, feeling comfortable. And what we're going to try and do is tell that story as well as as much as we can and as well as we can as to why coming to games is safe and the protocols we've put in place. You know, these leagues and, and these commissioners are are fantastically smart and have a ton of smarter people underneath them that are going to provide, provide the teams on here's how you make your arena safe. Here's how you make your ballpark safe. Um but then communicating that to the fans, I think, is then most important of here's, here, here are the precautions we put in. Here's how you hand sanitize. Here's how you do every, everything. Um, but I think fear is going to be, be that biggest competition coming out of this. 
you know, talking about that in group sales at the same time is one of those other fears of all sports going forward. Group sales has been a large component of our sellout success in many markets. And the very nature of what a group is, is really being tested now with COVID and, and the aftermath of that. What discussions are you having internally, or perhaps have you had over the last several months with regard to what group sales looks like in 2021? And I mean, group sales is going to be so important in 2021. And I think the even more difficult part of that is what fan experience packages are we going to have? You know, I, I think gone are the days of the high five lines. You know, I, that's just probably the reality of it. And um, so how do we create different fan experience packages? Um, you know, I think especially as as um as inventory goes higher and higher uh, and your season ticket members have kind of been tapped out, like the season ticket members that feel comfortable coming are coming. And those who are not coming, you know, you hit that threshold, you're really going to have to depend on groups and whether that be, you know, link strategy, um, you know, uh, employee benefit programs, that type of stuff. It's going to be super important um, because that's going to be your lead list for 2022 are those people and those groups that do feel comfortable coming and whether that be, uh, you know, companies that feel um, comfortable sending out an offer to their employees and then being able to pick out pods where they, where they sit, all that type of stuff. But it's going to be super important for the group sales staff to pivot off of what they've been doing historically and look at doing things a different way. And, and again, I go back to those fan experience packages that were just so easy to sell, like on court, sitting on the bench, high-fiving the players, um, you know, having the flag out uh, at, um, half t- uh, at, um, uh, at the beginning of the game, you know, halftime court playing, you know, what restrictions are there going to be moving forward that then restrict those fan experience packages that we won't be able to sell anymore? So how do we get creative? Yeah, the word interaction and virus just don't really go together anymore. <laughs> no, high five and virus don't really go go well right now. Probably have to come up with another name for in- fan engagement, fan <laughs> something, fan enjoyment yeah. packages yeah. or something. Crazy. Uh, totally different subject. There was a major announcement just this week as we tape this when Major League Baseball officially recognized the Negro Leagues and their contributions from 1920 to 1948 when they were existence. Maybe the most well-known of those players played there in Pittsburgh for many years, Josh Gibson. He's a Hall of Famer, known to many as the Black Babe Ruth. He played catcher for both of those Negro League teams in Pittsburgh, the Crawfords and the Homestead Grays, probably the most well-known as the Grays. What was your reaction to that news? And, And have you had any discussion yet about how you'll incorporate these players and their legacies in your plans for the fans in 2021? No, I think agree with the commissioner, right? This was a long overdue recognition. Um, you know, our organization released a statement that we would 100% support the uh, MVP being named after Josh Gibson. Um, he has a foundation in Pittsburgh. He's, he's part of, part of the community. Um, you know, I, I think uh, it's fantastic what the league has done. Um, I'm excited to support it. I, I know the organization is su- excited to support it. Um, and, and to me, this is just, again, long overdue recognition. And, and we, we as an organization are, are, are 100% going to support it. Great to hear. 
as you watch all the storylines that are coming up and they seem to be different weekly within sports as we figure out what's next, is there something that you think is not being discussed right now that you think will become more important, say, sooner than later? Um, mental health. I, I, I really think people are focusing on mental health outside of the athletes. Um, just knowing what these guys are going through on a daily basis. Um, you know, we, you know, we worry about our mental health, but these guys then go have to go out and perform at hundred percent and, and, you know, are worried about their families are put in bubbles. They're, they're doing all types of things, um, to, to help, you know, Americans feel normal and, and being able to watch what they enjoy and love. And, um, you know, to me, to me, there's not enough focus on the athletes and their mental health. Now, again, maybe it is behind closed doors, but talking, talking about it, um, and really understanding what they're going through on a daily basis, all the protocols of just going in and having shoot around, you know, it's insane what these guys have to do of getting dressed at home, coming to the, coming to the practice facility, only having a certain number of players in the same area, like just so far out of their norm and what they've been accustomed to since they were kids, you know, how are they dealing with that? And, And the pressure that's being put on them and, and going out and, and doing something you love without a single person in the stadium. You know, what, what type of pressure and, and, and mental strain is that putting on these guys? Yeah, that's a great point. And, and I'm sure will need to be addressed sooner than later. You've been in the business nearly 20 years. Invariably, you have discussed the industry with some of your peers saying, wow, this industry is so backward doing this and this and this, and it never seems to change. What do you think this unique situation has given this industry an opportunity to do or maybe to be that may never come again? Is there a window that exists that you see to change or improve something right now? Yeah, I think it's innovation for sure. And, you know, focusing on, you know, digital ticketing, which, which again is something we've, we've tried to focus over the past 10 years, but there's always that excuse of, oh, well, this person has always had paper tickets or this person has always had this, you know, really looking at what companies are doing and and what technology they're investing in to make that experience be so much better than it is. I mean, we are archaic in in some of the way, some of the ways we do things again, making cold calls, perfect example. Like how do we start to shift that focus? Um, Letting one person control our channel of where we sell our tickets right? Like we can only sell on this ticketing site. Um, you know, how do we start to, how do we start to expand that and look at getting multiple channels and, and getting our, getting our brands out there versus just on one platform. So I think there's a real strong opportunity right now to look at and invest in innovation and and technology to improve that fan experience. Um, you know, whether it be through a, a venue app upgrade, all that type of stuff where it's just at the click of a button. Um, you look at Uber and, and that technology or Starbucks or United app and, and how fan or how consumer friendly that is. So, you know, I think our vision of how we're going to look at things is 
we're going to have a, a B2C team that, that focuses specifically on the consumer strategy, <clears throat> you know, getting the consumers to games. And then we're going to have a B2B team that just focuses on, on the businesses. And that's anywhere from hospitality, ticketing through branding and, and relationships with charities and all that other type of stuff, but really have a, a B2B strategy and a B2C strategy and, and what technology is out there that, that enhances brand recognition on the B2B side or gets more people to games on the B2C side. Great, great thoughts. So our last portion of the, each interview that I do, we do some rapid fire, fill in the blank kinds of fun questions. Dave has not seen any of these. And so it's going to be the first thing that comes to his mind as I ask. Him. So here we go. Favorite binge watch during the pandemic. Oh, I don't watch TV that much, to be honest. So um, I'm trying to think if we've even watched anything, to be honest. My wife watches stuff. I don't really watch that much TV. So unfortunately, I haven't been binge watched anything. Fair enough. Besides sports, the one thing you've missed most during COVID? Oh, just being in the office, to be honest. Um, you know, I miss, I miss my, I missed my teammates, right? Like doing this over the computer and, and, you know, not seeing reactions or, or being able to pivot or collaborate as easily as possible. Like I, I just missed, uh, I missed the team that I had at Kroenke and, and to be honest, onboarding now with the pirates and, and doing that all virtually is, is difficult and, and not being able to sit down and have a coffee with somebody and, and chat, you know, it's all over the computer and, you know, there's, a two-year-old banging up above you and, and everything else. So, um, you know, I've definitely, definitely missed the office. Yeah. The board game you never thought you'd pull out of the closet that you did in 2020. Oh man. What is the name of that, that we played? Oh, Parcheesi. Yeah. Oh yeah. Favorite musical artist on your workout mix. <laughs> um, Assuming of course you have a workout mix, Dave. Yeah, no. Uh, I would say right now it's probably Jay Z. Okay. Favorite sports team that you have not worked for? I can't say it anymore. Uh, it would have been the New York Yankees, but uh, I can't say that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll pretend we didn't hear that. Very good. Uh, the sit-down restaurant you have ordered from most from DoorDash or any of those others? Oh, Chipotle. <laughs> I don't know if that's sit down, but <laughs> uh, it, it fits. Uh, favorite comedian or comedian? Oh, Dave Chappelle. Cool. Uh, favorite city that you've worked in over all the ones that you've worked? Oh, man. It's got to be Denver right now. So, okay. Favorite thing about Pittsburgh so far? I would just say the people. And if you ask, seven people where to live, they would give you seven different answers, which makes house hunting really difficult, but, but it's also super unique of, you know, there, there's just so many different and unique communities and experiences that, um, as every time we get a different answer, it's like, oh, well, maybe we should look at this area. So I think that's been, that's really cool. And then I'll even expand on just Pennsylvania in general, huge history buff and, and being able to drive to places like Gettysburg. Um, I'm really excited about that. And, and, and you don't have that, you don't have that American history as much out here in, in the West, but um, you know, having all that at, at your fingertips is super exciting. Well, cool. you and Sean Ream can get together and all that history stuff. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> cool. The biggest hurdle you have to overcome in the next six months. Oh man, getting that work-life balance back. I think as soon as everybody gets back in the office, they're going to be full steam ahead. And, and I think it's going to be difficult on, you know, whether it be the wife or the husband who, who is continues to stay at home and, and, you know, maintaining that work-life balance. Cause I know for me, like I'm going to dive right in and, and, and be working. And, and I've got to remember that, you know, I've got to maintain that work-life balance because it um, doesn't matter how hard you work. You've got to make sure that things at home are good. Yeah. One last question. One bold prediction that you would have for sports and entertainment going forward. Oh, man. Jeez. Uh, I would say that soccer creates a North American league. And it's not La Liga, Major League Soccer, that they create one league to compete against uh, European. So that would be, it would be interesting. But uh, I think that's the only way they're going to be super competitive is if if they can be one league uh, and control all those media rights. Sure. Great comments and, and great insight, Dave. I can't thank you enough for being a host. David Burke is Executive Vice President, Sales and Business Development at the Pittsburgh Pirates. And, and that's a new thing. So he's probably not heard the sound of that very much up until no. now. So, Dave, congratulations on your new position. And thank you for taking time to be with us here on the Crowdmakers. Yeah, thank you, Bill. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed the program, please like us, share us with those you know, and hit subscribe on the podcast, and we'll let you know when another new episode is dropped. Your positive comments will help keep the Crowdmakers on the air. We'd be grateful for your five-star review. Got someone you'd like to hear as a guest on the Crowdmakers? Let us know, and we'll do our best to reach out to them. Drop us a note at info at isbi360.com. That's info at isbi360.com. Support for the Crowdmakers comes from ISBI 360, the first and only digital training network for sports and entertainment professionals. Check out the two-minute demo at isbi360.com slash demo. That's isbi360.com slash demo. Building a better team starts with better training. Our chief engineer of the Crowdmakers is Ken Marinelli. Sean Quinn is our director of operations. Mark Yazowitz is the digital platform guru. And the executive producer of The Crowdmakers is Doug Quinn. I'm Bill Gertine. Until next time, thanks for listening and so long for now. This is The Crowdmakers on the C-Suite Radio Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.